It is the 200 level. Mike Carpenter in the basement studio for a bi-week brunch club. Thank you on YouTube Live for those joining us on this uh, about 11.30. No Bears game today, not that it would matter anyways, because we are all in on Illini football. And yesterday kind of cleared up the picture a little bit in terms of what needs to happen for Illinois to win a Big Ten West. Now, we entered yesterday, and I understand why. Some Illini fans were looking forward towards a possible Illini-Purdue game day matchup. That's not to say it can't still happen. I mean, maybe it could, and game day has been going to a lot of places that they have not been so far this year, actually not so far in their entirety. I think Illinois is one of the five or six Power Five schools that's never hosted them. So I myself would love that because the exposure would be tremendous. But my primary objective yesterday was create space in the West and give yourself a little bit of margin for error. And that's exactly what happened. I'm high on this Illinois team, as I think most of us are, with good reason, because the numbers bear that out. Their performances bear that out. But college football can be weird. So there are the occasional games that you just scratch your head and say, how the heck did that happen? We saw it in game two against Indiana. I'm not necessarily thinking Nebraska is going to go that way. The only reason I'm not 100% on Nebraska is that little nervous fan tick. But all the measurables would tell us that this should be a game that Illinois controls. On the road, yes, but they should be able to control it with the addition of McCray, maybe punching a few more touchdowns in the red zone. It is a favorable matchup, okay? It's a favorable matchup both in terms of I think talent, if we're being honest, but also coaching for sure. And after a bye week, Brett Bielma has been fantastic. At least with Illinois, he has been. And I'll try to dig up a career number for him. But you still want a little bit of margin for error. So that's what yesterday afforded you. With Purdue losing at Wisconsin, that gives you the, I guess, not opportunity, but the uh, it makes it okay to drop one against, let's say, a Nebraska, Michigan State, or Northwestern. I don't think the latter is likely to happen. You know that Nebraska and Michigan State have talent. They are certainly not without talent. So if it is a bad Saturday where nothing goes right and they steal one, that's okay. You still control your destiny when you play Purdue on November 12th. Furthermore, this opens up the door for that day to not just be beat Purdue and stay in the driver's seat. We're leading towards beat Purdue and clinch the Big Ten West title on November 12th. The beautiful thing about this is it is all within Illinois' grasp, and it's all within their grasp in the next three weeks. The way this team has been playing and the way that they just got over the Wisconsin-Iowa-Minnesota stretch, and those teams are not without their flaws, wouldn't you agree that Nebraska, Michigan State, and Purdue is, let's call it what it is, an easier three-game stretch? Two of them at home, just like you had in the last three-game stretch. And the one that's on the road is against a Nebraska team that's, if we're being honest, a mess. So it's right there for you. This path has been laid out as long as Northwestern loses another game, and they likely will to Ohio State, right? Then you, if you beat Nebraska and Michigan State and Purdue, will have clinched a spot in Indy on November 12th. With two weeks to play. Now, that would be Michigan and Northwestern, of course, both of those on the road. And what I like about that is if you were to go 3-0 in the next three games, then that Michigan game is one where you can kind of play just loose in a good way. Obviously, they would care. They'd want to win that game. They would, at that point, be 9-1 and if they win the next three. And they would be in the college football playoff discussion. 
it would be one of those if they beat Michigan. Um, this team has a path to the playoff. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. I said a few weeks back that I'm not going to broach the Big Ten championship game until they were to have beaten Wisconsin and Iowa. And didn't I say all three? I forget. At least the first two. But I really withheld from it until after they beat Minnesota. And I think the way in which they beat Minnesota gives us plenty of reasons to think that if they just take care of business the next three, that's exactly what we're looking at. How bizarre is it to wake up on October 24th and even have this conversation, or October 23rd? You know, I was reflecting because Friday was my birthday. I'm 36 years old, and I could count on one hand since I've been really following Illini football, since I was conscious enough to do so, right? Because I'm not going to count the Makovic years. It was too little. I was a young whippersnapper that wasn't following it. But since I have been following it, I could count on one hand the number of birthdays I've had where Illinois has been over 500, let alone where Illinois has been over 500, bowl eligible. I think I can actually only count the Sugar Bowl year and this year as examples. Because if you remember the Rose Bowl year, I think it was October 28th when you got bowl eligible against Ball State. So all these things that you're checking off early this year uh, and what has been a beautiful fall, right? I mean, it just makes everything better. I've talked about this, how the falls that we've had as Illini football fans tend to be tempered. The awesomeness of fall tends to be tempered with a not-so-good football team. So now when you mix that in with it, and I'm, I'm out for a run today and I'm going on campus, which is nice and quiet on a Sunday morning, and you see all the trees and the leaves are changing colors, and there's Memorial Stadium just glowing in that autumn sun and thinking, wow, like this is what we've been missing. And that now it's hard for me to wake up any day and not think ahead to, okay, the next week, two weeks from now, three weeks from now. I know the team's not doing that. This is where trust in the coaching staff actually makes this a lot easier of a season to follow. Or I should say, it's easy in terms of fun, but not easy in terms of now we're invested again. Now we're nervous again. Uh, But I do take solace in the fact that while I am spending all this time thinking ahead to, okay, bull scenarios, indie scenarios, got the hotel room booked just in case. What am I going to do for the tailgates for Michigan State and Purdue? What am I going to take up to Ann Arbor when we go up there for that game, et cetera, right? These are all fun. But for the team that's in the locker room right now, I highly doubt they're looking forward to all of that. I think that they are old enough and I think they have a coaching staff good enough to keep them focused on the task at hand. That is a Nebraska team that is not without talent, but is a mess. And they could hang in there or you could just hang it on them. And you could do so early. I'm not sure what I expect on Saturday. And we're going to have another pod later this week where maybe we get more into that. But as we sit here on this Sunday morning, aren't things good? And the next three-game stretch is super consequential, more so than the last three-game stretch. But I think we would all agree that the Wisconsin-Iowa-Minnesota stretch, even with those teams struggling in their own ways, was an easier stretch than what Illinois is about to face. And there's also the hypothetical, I guess, or I guess the possibility, let me say, that Illinois' offense actually really figures things out because it feels like they're knocking on the door, doesn't it? And that they were able to execute against Minnesota the way they were. Well, come on. This Nebraska team, this defense, shouldn't it be a great Saturday for Tommy DeVito and company? Ugh, I'm getting ahead of myself. We got a lot to talk about today. We got a big college football Saturday to cover. We have a little bit of maybe a lot of basketball scrimmage talk. We don't really know what happened there, but Illinois basketball is back underway. And we got a lot of thoughts here in the chat thread 
that I will get to right after the sponsors, including DP Doe. All mine at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. dpdoe.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So order online at dpdo.com. Get a custom zone with any topping you want or one of their favorites like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone. That is dpdo.com. Also, Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Give them a call today. Matthew was the technician that came for our furnace check. We got the furnace check. We got our AC check scheduled in the spring. Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. They're the place to call as the temperatures start getting cooler. You know, oddly enough, um, and I think Matthew took a quick look at our AC just to make sure it looked fine. We've had to use that the last couple of days, just when the in the middle of the afternoon, when it's gotten a little bit stuffy in the house with these 78, 80 degree temperatures. I love it. But thank goodness for Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. We got an older furnace, an older AC unit. They made sure it was in tip-top shape. Cannot recommend, recommend these guys enough. That's Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Also, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business renters, you name it. Brian is my guy. He can be your guy as well. So we've had, uh, let's see, homeowners in auto with Brian for the last two years. To give you a quick example, when I got my new leased car about a month ago, or I guess that was September 1st, it took him all of three minutes from when I emailed him to get a temporary insurance card. That's just one example of many that shows you that Brian is my guy. He can be your guy as well. Brian is my guy.com. And finally, Rector Construction online at R-E-C-T-O-R construction.com. Excuse me, guys at Rector. It's early on a Sunday. I guess I'm struggling. Uh, These guys can work year round. So don't let the winter months dissuade you from getting a free quote on anything that you would need to get done on the exterior of your house. These guys are pros, expert craftsmen, great customer service. And as a townie, I appreciate how much they give back to Champaign-Urbana. That is rectorconstruction.com. Got to thank Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Currently rocking the Champagne Showers t-shirt. Love it. So thank you, Boswell and the folks over there. All right, we got a whole lot going on in the chat thread, which I appreciate you guys joining me on a Sunday morning. So good morning to Billy, Joseph, Whipple. It's Whipple. Good to see you, Whipple. Uh, Michael Gerard, good to see you this morning. And let's see, Jacob, we, we got a crew. This is fun to kind of build this, I don't know, what would what would be a, the 200 level, I don't know. We'll come up with some sort of nickname maybe. As you can see, I'm not the best at that sort of thing. This is from Jacob. When the next three, we go to Indy, but the Nebraska game scares me. It kind of reminds me of Purdue going to Wisconsin. Jacob, you're not alone. My brother-in-law is a football guy, and I think he has a good sixth sense for things, so I'm not going to discount my brother-in-law when he has said the same thing. He said, this, this Nebraska game scares me. I get it. There's nothing on paper that should really scare you about Nebraska. This is a team that gives up tons of yards. This is a team that makes mistakes. This is an interim coach in Mickey Joseph against Brett Bielema and this coaching staff. If I were to give you one reason to be worried, it's that we already saw the Indiana game. These things can happen. But I could also use that Indiana game as an example that I believe things do happen earlier in the season that can get corrected. What were those mistakes? Well, they were not punching it in in the red zone. And unfortunately, we've seen that continue I think Josh McCray is a big factor in that. Also, turnovers, which against Minnesota, not a problem. Against Chattanooga, not a problem. Against Wisconsin, not a problem. The Iowa game scared you a little bit, but you also got to keep in mind that was when you lost Tommy DeVito. Things were rolling. So if I were to 
counter that, I guess, Jacob, I think we need to focus on this offense. And I know that there's a couple more comments coming up about that. The big takeaway from the Minnesota game, other than the defense being what they are, which is fantastic, is that the offense seems to be putting it together. The point totals would not suggest that. You know, 26 points against Minnesota is good. And I know Penn State got even more last night. That game got away from Minnesota, and that backup quarterback makes Tanner Morgan look like a Heisman candidate. But I think that this offense is knocking on the door of going from pretty darn good to great. Great is a big word, right? But if you think about the factors at play here, Tommy DeVito is playing some of the best quarterback position in the Big Ten. I think he's certainly better than, what is it, Thompson, I think is the Nebraska quarterback. You have Chase Brown after a bye week, and you have Josh McCray coming back as well. By all accounts, looks fantastic in practice. They played the slow game with Josh McCray, and it may pay dividends down the stretch. So when you get into that first and goal from the five, you can still run the ball, but guess what? It's Josh McCray. And with a head of steam, you feel like he can punch it in for you. I certainly do against this Nebraska defense of all defenses. Now you start to see wide receivers begin to develop their roles. Isaiah Williams, sort of a jack-of-all-trades, kind of a, uh, I don't know, he had a lot of third-down conversions against Minnesota, I think four. But he is becoming a really good intermediate runner. You got high tower that can stretch the field a little bit, and there's also a third-down safety blanket. Pat Bryant, more the explosive player. You're seeing these receivers find their roles, and Tommy DeVito deliver it to them. Tied in, not the best position, but maybe the most encouraging thing of all, and I know Jeremy has really harped on this on the Alana Inquirer podcast, the offensive line has been playing great. And they just got a JUCO offensive line commit last week. This is not the podcast for recruiting, okay? I'll, I'll let you know, but every now and then you just see the recruiting news trickle in. Oh, really highly touted Juco offensive lineman. Makes sense because they're going to lose a couple guys in that line next year. They get a six foot three cornerback that commits on Saturday. So they're getting their guys. They're getting their targets. I have no doubt that they're going to continue to just reload more than rebuild the way this staff is constructed. All that is to say, this offense, I think, is going to pick things up. I really do think that they will have a very good day at Nebraska. And then let's not forget on the other side of the ball, Nebraska has some talent. They can stretch the field a little little bit. But don't you trust this defensive secondary to keep things in front of them? And don't you trust this defensive line to get after the quarterback? (sighs) Yeah, I just talked myself out of it, right, Jacob? I understand the inclination to be worried about this Nebraska game. However, I think the things in front of us would say, hold on. You know, just go with what you've seen. And while this game could get weird and this game could get nerve-wracking at points, Who do you ultimately trust to make the most plays? We could talk about the kicking game. Is Fabrizio Pintone or Pinton? Sorry, I want to say Pintone. But is Fabrizio going to be the kicker? I think if it's 35 and in, yes. I think Caleb Griffin will get any longer kicks. But I think he might also go for it on fourth down. I'm okay with that. If you can maybe just start kicking it in the end zone again, you don't want to have what happened in Minnesota happen in this game on the road to give the home crowd that jolt of electricity. So yeah, there will be a few uh uh-oh moments maybe, Jacob. I don't know if it's going to be super easy throughout, but this does appear to be a game that you can pull away as long as you just do your thing. I don't know if that softens your your concerns, Jacob, or not, but I, I am feeling more optimistic, and as the week goes on, we'll see how I feel. But Okay, Curtis says... Nebraska will be hyped to play at that packed house, just like at Wisconsin, and they know they'll be on ABC, so all all eyes on them. Well, actually, Curtis, let me reread that. Do you mean Illinois will be hyped to play in front of the packed house? I think both will be. We've seen Illinois actually 
play well in tough environments. They won at Penn State last year. They won at Minnesota last year, which I don't know how tough of an environment that is, but I've, from what I understand, it's a pretty good home field for them up there. And then this year at Wisconsin. Now, that Wisconsin game, what you can do in a crazy environment like that, you can flip it pretty quick. It's going to be loud early on. If you can just take the initial punch, withstand it, and then punch back, and then punch back a second time, maybe you take an early 10-3 to 3 lead or something, all of a sudden, that begins to put the home crowd a little bit on edge. Or, or you know, they, they start to get back into wait-and-see mode, and if you're a Nebraska fan... How optimistic are you going into this game? I think they're going to enter this game thinking, what the heck? You know, we got an interim coach. We'll get a new coach next year. They really are kind of playing with house money. So in that way, it is a dangerous game. But I do think that this team with the veterans on this team, how they responded after that Indiana game and how they responded with their first really big road test against Wisconsin after the Indiana game, I think that tells you, Yes, they will respond. They know all eyes are on them. Yeah, so Curtis, you were talking about Illinois will be hyped. I think so too. I really do. Let's see here from Sky Drama. Hello, Andrew. Old classmate of mine in Urbana and Shambana Weather, local weather service, which is my go-to. Not a sponsor, but I'm just going to advocate for them anyways because they're really good and you should follow them on Twitter. That's the other wild thing that's implied with all this. If you win out that three-game stretch and they're a top 10, top 8 team nationally, yeah, think about this. If they win at Nebraska, which they'll be favored, and maybe we get a spread, and if any of you catch the spread or the top 25 rankings that come out during this show, let me know. Currently, it is 11.50 a.m. So any time now, we'll get the coaches and the AP poll, maybe a spread as well. But if I were to guess the spread, I'd say Illinois minus 5.5. And you may see that spread inch a little bit towards Nebraska because I think there is that sort of hard to quantify feeling that Nebraska home team, this is going to be a close game. I understand that. 230 ABC, that even not not that it gives me the willies, but it adds some importance to a game that on its face, yeah, Nebraska's in there for the Big Ten West race, but the way they've played, does anyone really buy what they're selling? But if you win the next three games, you're right, Andrew. You're a top 10 team going into Michigan. I about said Michigan State, going into Michigan. Top 10 versus top five. If you don't get game day, which I'd love to get it at home for Purdue, but frankly, I don't, I'll don't. i be in lot 31 anyway, so I don't care. But if you don't get it that week, you'd probably get it at Ann Arbor. And that would be the game of the week, I think. I'd have to see what's going on with the SEC. Maybe Tennessee's playing Georgia or something. I'm not sure. But that would be a big one. Fortunately, also on the topic of game day, the Illinois-Purdue weekend is one that's pretty light in college football. So if game day really is attempting to hit up new places, Trevor had texted me and Isaac last night and said, you know, the other big option that week is... Mississippi, no, Ole Miss, Alabama, and how many times have they done that? So, yeah, you could see them still come to Illinois. Let's see here. Also from Andrew, there's been so many points left on the field the last few games. We'll be just fine with them taking that out on Nebraska, Michigan State, and Purdue. To that point, Andrew, I think there's something to be said about the offense playing with a chip on their shoulder. There was a quote from Tommy DeVito after the win against Minnesota that seems to indicate that they are not super pleased. He said, we're nowhere close. Now, that is often locker room speak. That's what players and coaches say. Oh, we're nowhere close. We're going to keep working on it. Week by week, we're going to get better. We hear these buzzwords, but there was a tone with which Tommy said it, which 
led me to think, oh, come on, we got to stop kicking field goals. So this is where Barry Lunny is really all eyes on him the next three weeks. You kind of know what you're getting from your defense. The defense, at worst, is going to let you hang around even if you aren't punching it in. At worst, right? We know the defense is that good, and I don't think they're going to lay some egg where all of a sudden an opposing team drops 28 points on you. But you know what? This offense for Illinois really needs to start scoring. They do need to start scoring more if they are going to win as many games as they possibly can. What you don't want to have happen is in a game, a competitive game against a good opponent, you would have won, but gosh darn it, you had a first and goal at the five and you just didn't punch it in. You don't want that to become the story in the fourth quarter at Michigan. You don't want that to become the story, especially in the fourth quarter against Purdue when you're trying to lock up a Big Ten West. This team playing with a lead is scary. We see it time and time again. When they play with a lead, that defense just tees off on the opponents. So, Andrew, I think there's something to this, that the offense has a chip on their shoulder. They should. They get Josh McCray back. They can play with a little more anger when they get in that red zone. The efficiency that they have between the 20s, really good offense. But when they get inside that 20, then we, as fans, we start puckering up too. I don't think that mental thing is playing in their minds as much. It's sort of like... This is a bad comparison. I've been playing NCAA football on PS2, all right? So I just got through my first season with Juice and Aurelius Ben. And if I lose a game, I don't go back thinking, uh-oh, here I go again. I go back, okay, how can I do this? How can I improve on what I did before? That's the closest I'm going to get to being a high-level athlete, by the way. So with these guys, this offense in particular, you have to think that for them, it's just, ah, hell, let's get back out there. We're, we're so close. We're so close. And that they're going to keep knocking on the door, and eventually it will pay off. I think with Josh McCray, and I've said his name already five times this podcast, because that is such a big return, not just for red zone and goal line situations, because I think that's the biggest impact, but the fact that when you put him out there instead of a Reggie Love or a Chase Hayden, all of a sudden, the defense cannot just key in on the pass. They have to respect Josh McCray, and boy, is he going to be fresh. I actually think it worked out beautifully. Would I prefer to be 7-0 with Josh McCray punching it in against Indiana to give you the ultimate game-winning score? 100%. But the next best scenario was that somehow without a really good running back that can be a game-breaker, you are 6-1, and and he's back. And other than that, you're healthy. Caleb Griffin, we'll see. But other than that, you're healthy this point of the year. So, yeah, Andrew, I think the offense has a chip on their shoulder, and Joseph follows this up. They seem on the verge of something, and the quality of defense is numerically worse than the previous defenses we've faced. He's referring, Joseph, to the Nebraska defense. Yeah, Minnesota, of course, gave up a lot of points against Penn State last night. Not unexpected when you consider that they couldn't keep the ball offensively that much. I'd have to look at time of possession, but this backup quarterback for Minnesota, we saw it. He's terrible. Tanner Morgan, not so great either for a 28-year-old quarterback or whatever he is. But yes, this defense for Nebraska is not as good as the three you faced before. And let's take a little look at the Iowa game versus the Minnesota game. Iowa's defense makes you uncomfortable. And I think if DeVito plays, you score enough where that game isn't quite in doubt in the fourth. And you end up winning like... 17 to 6 or 20 to 6, right? Instead of 9 to 6. But they were starting to really apply the pressure against Illinois, whether it be DeVito or Sitkowski. You could sense it. You could sense that Illinois was laboring. Against Minnesota, it's like you just take that edge off, that violence, 
that Iowa's defense plays with. An elite defense, and now down to a very good defense, at least statistically. And then you were able to move the ball <clears throat> excuse me, at will against Minnesota. Now you turn the temperature down even more, and you have Nebraska's defense. And that's why these three games, more than the three that came before, Wisconsin, I'm not sold on Jim Leonard. They'll probably keep him. I'm okay with that. I don't think he's the powerhouse head coach, or at least, let me say, it would have to be proven to me they have some things to figure out as a program. But Wisconsin, Iowa, and Minnesota are much more established in terms of defense. And when Tommy DeVito was out there and healthy, you had no problem against Wisconsin, Minnesota. I'm thinking that bodes very well for these three games. And it's not as if the offenses you're facing are astronomically better either. Minnesota's offense coming in, other than the Purdue game, was gaining yards. They were running the ball. They had great time of possession. Defense shut them down. Iowa's offense, and we're going to get into that. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, pathetic. And, and a legacy is being ruined up at Iowa as we speak. That's how bad it's getting. So I won't use that example. But Wisconsin, right? Um, you were able to defensively keep them to 10 points. Man, if the opposing team doesn't score, usually on the opening drive, it seems like this defense figures out whatever they need to after that first drive, and then they coast. And then by the third and fourth quarter, they just get to the quarterback. That's why these three games, this three-game stretch, to me, is less scary than the last three games. Remains to be seen. You can still slip up, but I really do think that you are not going to be facing the same pressure as an offense against opposing defenses, and that starts on Saturday. Let's see. Michael Gerard agrees that we're on the verge of an off- offensive burst. I-, I feel that way big time. And this is from Bobo. I'd be more worried about the Nebraska game if it wasn't coming off of a bye week. Let's talk about that bye week. Uh, you know, I-, I hate it on one hand because I really want to keep riding this wave, but it actually worked out. Even personally speaking, for those that have tailgated the last two weekends, for those that are primetime tailgaters, didn't you enjoy a one-week respite? Won't you enjoy next Saturday just waking up and going about your business and then 2.30 switch on the game? I needed to be rested up too. I can only imagine what these players that have played seven games in seven weeks or eight weeks, how badly they needed that rest. So, Bobo, I agree. I would be more worried about the Nebraska game if it was yesterday. Nebraska gets a bye week too. I get that. I've seen people on message boards say, well, they got a bye week. Who do you trust more with a bye week? Brett Bielema and this veteran Illini team or Mickey Joseph and this Nebraska ragtag group of a lot of transfers, some talent. There's no doubt. If they put it all together, this is going to be tougher. Yes. I just happen to trust our staff and our team more after a bye week than I think Nebraska fans would trust theirs. All right, let's see. Teddy says, oh, we got a nickname potentially, Teddy, the 200-level fanboys. You know what I will try to do? I'll try to get merch. I I need to at least make some t-shirts, and I don't know if any of you guys would be interested in that, but t-shirts, stickers, things like that. But what we'll think is some sort of club. I mean, we are the brunch club, but we also do the evening podcast too. Bobo has breaking news. Illinois is 18 in the coaches' poll. Now, they've always lagged behind two or three spots in that coaches' poll. I'm guessing 16 or 15 in the AP when that comes out. Let's see here. Jacob says, if Illinois were to keep turnovers at two or below against Nebraska, we win easily. I think so too, Jacob. I really think that it would take Illinois shooting themselves in the foot for this game to go the opposite way. My Saturday is going to be interesting. I'm going down to Louisville to see My Morning Jacket, one of my favorite bands. And me and a buddy are going to the Yum Center, which is their arena down there. 
And it's a costume ball. So My Morning Jacket is encouraging all their fans going to the show to wear something. And we got a great costume. I'll put it up on Twitter and all that. Got a hotel about a mile away from the arena. And I'm getting down there at about 3 Eastern. And the game starts at 3.30 Eastern. So me and my friend will just be stationed up in this hotel, watching the first half, having a couple of drinks. At halftime, we'll go someplace to get a bite to eat and make sure that we can have the game on. My hope is that as we leave the hotel, the game is merely an afterthought. And that might seem like, Carl, that's a little bold. It's a road game. It's a Nebraska team that currently is only a half game behind you. But let's read the tea leaves a little bit. The way this Illinois team has been playing, I don't think the bye week derails any of this. And if anything, bye weeks with Brett Bielema at Illinois have taught us that they usually come out guns blazing. It's not like the Wisconsin game was a bye week. But you did have two more days to prepare after that Chattanooga Thursday night game. There was a specific reason why Bielema moved that Chattanooga game, when given the opportunity, moved it to Thursday to get two more days off, rest, recover, and then prep for Wisconsin. And what did they do? They came out and they bum-rushed Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin's a better team than Nebraska. Uh, Paul Christ, for all his issues, they still um, are Wisconsin. And you compare to what Scott Frost had built, or not built exactly, at Nebraska, uh, I I think this is like Wisconsin light. And if you just come out and do your thing, why shouldn't my friend and I be able to leave the hotel at halftime and not have to worry so much about the game? I would love that. It would make the rest of my night better. Hey, worst case scenario, if Illinois happens to crap the bed, which I, fingers crossed they don't, I got a distraction. But I want to double down. I want to have the win plus a concert and just be beaming inside the whole time knowing that, oh, wow, we're 7-1. and one. We got Michigan State and Purdue coming to town and the Big Ten title is right there for you. You know, I mentioned I don't think this team's going to be talking about it, but I think the seed's going to be planted. And Bielema seemed to indicate, he said either home stretch or final stretch quite a few times leading into the bye week. I think they view this as a five-game package deal. Now, they're going to go one game at a time, but I think their intent is to just rip through these five games like a team on a mission. They've positioned themselves beautifully at 6-1. and I don't expect some sort of letdown when they play Nebraska. How about this? I I did not realize this, Bobo. Minnesota actually won the time of possession against Purdue 31-30 to 28-30. I did not see that. Okay, yeah, so the coaches poll, NJ Alani brings up that we moved up two spots to 18. We were at 20. Michael Gerard agrees with Billy and uh, expects an offensive explosion over 30 against Nebraska. And yeah, Billy says that after this bye week, I think we see some sparks at Nebraska. I I would think so. Okay, so as we wait for the AP ranking, which should be coming out soon, and maybe a spread, though I have not seen that yet. Yesterday was a very interesting day in the Big Ten, and it all worked out beautifully short and long-term for Illinois. I want to start with Iowa. Iowa is not a threat to Illinois and their Big Ten West chances. But I find it interesting that a program that you could once count on is not only sort of losing steam, but you're seeing a coach's legacy get tarnished in the process. And this is a a coach, Kirk Ferentz, that seemed almost untouchable. Not a national champion, not an elite coach, but the longevity and the consistency that we always talked about, we want to be Iowa. Sometimes we'd say we want to be Wisconsin, but I would trade the last 20 years with what Iowa has. And now, after going 10-4 and last year, sort of like how Paul Christ, I think, won 9 or 10 games last year, you started to see the cracks appear despite the wins, and now things are just falling apart. This is an article from Cleveland.com, so I assume that this is an Ohio State football writer, Doug Lismerisis. 
Lesmerisis, I guess. He writes, Kirk Ferentz's failing Iowa's fans and his son Brian Ferentz should be fired. I'm going to read this article, which is just a brutal but fair takedown of the Ferentz regime. Iowa changed quarterback Saturday, maybe because the starter is named Spencer Petrus and not Spencer Ferentz. Unfortunately for Iowa fans and every player on the Iowa football team working hard in practice, the change that needs to be made at offensive coordinator won't even be considered until this dismal Iowa football season is done. And then, given the power Kirk Ferentz wields in Iowa City and the family ties that led him to install his son Brian as the offensive coordinator in the first place in 2017, there's no guarantee the necessary changes will be made then. Offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz, the oldest of Kirk's five children, should be fired. Now. But it won't happen. Because across 24 seasons, Kirk Ferentz has built up walls of power in Iowa City while winning 181 games as easily the longest tenured coach in major college football. He's now crawled inside of a cave of nepotism and sealed the entrance of the $42 million buyout that makes it incredibly difficult for Iowa to fire him, uh, the 67-year-old head coach. And that leaves the head coach to fire his 39-year-old out-of-idea son who was handed the reins to a Big Ten offense at age 34 after working for just two head coaches in his whole life, his dad and his dad's good friend, Bill Belichick. Saturday, Iowa benched Petrus to start the second half, a move that many Iowa fans have been waiting for. And in came Alex Padilla, who hadn't played since the Big Ten championship game a year ago. Neither quarterback was effective. They were combined 11 of 24 for 81 yards and three interceptions in a 54-10 loss to Ohio State. That's because the same person was running the offense for both of them. Rutgers fired offensive coordinator Sean Gleason this season. Boise State fired offensive coordinator Tim Plough, or Plow. Indiana fired offensive line coach Darren Hiller. Five head coaches have been fired, including Wisconsin's Paul Christ and Nebraska's Scott Frost in the Big Ten West. At Iowa, Ferentz will bench the player. Brian Ferentz told Padilla he's be starting the second half, but not entertain holding the coach to account mid-year. I think you're talking about two separate job descriptions in two separate areas of responsibility, Kirk Ferentz said. Yes, Brian Ferentz is making 900000 this season as an adult employed in a job. The amateur quarterbacks don't make that. Two separate job descriptions for sure. I know people do it, Ferentz said of mid-year firings. No, it's been done. It's been done this year. Again, it's just not my preference. My preference has been to play it out. And there's evidence to show that, you know, it's worked pretty well in the past. So we'll play it out. And then we'll do our assessments, our assessments and evaluations whenever the season's over. And the season is not over. So when the season is over, we'll make an evaluation on what is best for a program. In the meantime, this is an embarrassment for Iowa. And nepotism remains a stain on college football. Iowa is the prime and worst example. And I asked Ferentz of having a family member run one of the least productive units in the nation put Iowa in a bad light. It has no bearing on who the person is, Ferentz said. It's just a matter of who's coaching our football team. The guys on our staff are guys that have demonstrated success. They're good people. We're going to keep pushing that forward. Iowa has a rule against nepotism hires, but the football program skirted it by having Brian Ferentz report directly to athletic director Gary Barda. The problem is that at many major football programs, the football coach may as well be the AD's boss. Barda isn't going to do anything Kirk Ferentz doesn't want. When I tracked down Barda after the game, he certainly didn't sound like the person in charge of Brian's future. First of all, Kirk's been doing this for a long time, Barta said. I've been with him for 17 years, and at the end of the year, he evaluates every part of the program, every staff member, and that's what I know he'll do this year. In the meantime, we have five games. He's never changed staff members in the middle of the season. That's his plan now, and I'm going to support him, and at the end of the season, we'll see where it goes. 
Also, Barta agrees that 20-something amateurs are on the hook midseason and 30-something employees are not. Quote, changing players is something that happens all the time in the middle of the season, Barta said. Again, it goes back to Kirk's philosophy, his approach. And in 23 years, he's never changed a staff member in the middle of the season. And he's not planning to do that right now. I'll support him. Uh, This article goes on to mention some of the other guys that are coaching for their dads, like Jay Harbaugh is coaching up at Michigan, though I think think he's well-regarded. And this gets into the nepotism a little bit more, specifically how Iowa skirted this nepotism law by having Gary Barda be the one to hire Brian Ferentz and be the one that Brian Ferentz has to answer to. But you see Barda, when asked, talked about, well, this is going to be a decision that after the season, after the season, Kirk and all of his coaching staff, they'll, they'll make those decisions. No, but this is Barda's decision to make. He's punting it as expected. It would suck to be an Iowa football fan right now. You have 20 years of success to fall back on and say, well, you know, we're a pretty good program, uh, one of the best in the Big Ten West. But now there really isn't a whole lot of hope for the future because what are the chances that Brian Ferentz comes back next year? And by the way, I apologize for going between Ferentz and Ferentz. I can't figure out which one it is. But the chances of him coming back are probably better than 50%. And if he comes back, you are just in this holding pattern of crappy, boring football, wasting a very good defense. I remember what it was like half a season in 2011 when Vic Koning's defense tried the best they could to lead you to a nine-win season, which you should have had, and then the offense just completely fell apart. And that was maddening. So you have one unit of the ball, according to this article, Iowa's offense were last in the nation in yards per game. They were averaging 238 yards per game in this college football environment, and they only got 158 against Ohio State. Their only touchdown came on defense. And in seven games, the Iowa offense has seven touchdowns. The Iowa defense has three. They're 128th in points, 131st in yards, among 131 major college teams. Last season, they were 99th in points, 121st in yards. Unbelievable. They have the number two defense according to uh, efficiency, defensive efficiency, number two in the nation. Doesn't matter. They're a losing team. I'm okay with it. Here's the long-term play for Illinois. This is not something that's going to be fixed overnight with Iowa. We could say, well, Kirk Ferentz has done this before. He's never been in a hole like this. One where he would have to maybe replace his own son, which he's not going to do. And you're seeing this old school kind of football thing. Maybe we're seeing with Iowa and Wisconsin with Christ a similar story where both of those programs started to stagnate. And here's Illinois that likes to run a system where you run the ball and you play defense, but they have enough wrinkles and enough nuance in it to adapt to this college football environment. This is why I am extrapolating the lack of success from Iowa and Wisconsin this year, and saying long-term, this is the window of opportunity for Illinois to make hay. And thank God we are. It, it appears to be 6-1, and one, and I think this is sustainable, especially when you look at the teams that you would be playing year in, year out, like the Iowas and Wisconsins of the world. So just an interesting article that an Ohio State guy decided to just take down Kirk Ferentz, but I don't think it's unfair. I really don't. As Billy says, I'm just glad that for once this isn't about us. (laughs) You know? I mean, isn't that it? Where it seems like so many times, and I mentioned the 2011 season with Vic Koning's defense playing lights out, didn't matter because the offense stunk after the first six games when teams figured out it's A.J. Jenkins or bust because Jason Ford wasn't going to do what Mikel Ashore did, and the the offense just sputtered out, and Nathan Shieldhouse got eaten alive that year. It, It was rough. 
As Michael says, hopefully Iowa keeps things exactly as they are. And I feel like we're passing them and we want some separation before they put a new engine in their old uh, jalopy. Am I saying that right, Michael? Is that like an old kind of car? You're, if that's, you're seeing the lack of knowledge I have of that kind of things. And you're right, Michael. It reminds me of how we wasted uh, Simeon, uh, Simeon Rice, Kevin Hardy, and John Holosek, and Dana Howard. You know, the best season you had with those guys was eight and four in 1994 when you beat East Carolina in the Liberty Bowl, right? Team had no business being eight and four. You know, it's at the point now where if this Illinois team finished eight and four in the regular season, it'd be a disappointment. You know, going two and three down the final five games. That was a team that just did not reach their potential. And it, it has to be frustrating. It has to be in the locker room, doesn't it? If your eye was defense, how can you stand to be in the same room as Spencer Petrus? You know it's not his fault, but how could you not blame him? It's just human nature to say, if you're at a job and you and your people are holding up your end of the deal, but there's another branch in that office that is not, and making your life that much more difficult, you begin to resent them, and that has to percolate through the entire program. It's not a healthy program right now for Iowa, and I hope it continues, and I hope they get down in the pits, and just like Hayden Fry stuck around too long, maybe Kirk Ferentz, Ferentz, whatever... We'll do the same. How do you guys say it? Ferenc or Ferenc? All right, there's one more article here. This is from the Lafayette Journal and Courier. Another Wisconsin loss doesn't derail Purdue's football goal of winning the Big Ten West. This is from their beat writer, Mike Carmen. Let's start with a positive. And yes, there was a piece of positive news moving forward from another beatdown delivered by Wisconsin, which has taken ownership in the mind and body of Purdue's program. Here's the silver lining. The Boilermakers can still win the Big Ten West. Sounds simple, right? It is. They don't need any help. Just post victories in the last four games. Iowa, Illinois, Northwestern, and Indiana. And Purdue will sit atop the standings. Of course, the Fighting Illini are in the same position. This is actually a positive article. He goes on to say, hey, the path is still there for them. This has been 16 straight losses from Purdue against Wisconsin. I had no idea that the rivalry, or lack thereof, had gotten to that point. And... I discovered that this really started back in 2004. I think Purdue was playing Wisconsin late in the year. Kyle Orton was the quarterback. And if they won, they'd be going to the Rose Bowl. A third down, all he has to do is run, protect the ball. They're running the clock out, right? They're leading 17 to 14. I just watched the video this morning. And I think the guy's name is Scott Sparks for Wisconsin. Leveled Orton, took the ball all the way back for a fumble return touchdown. Wisconsin wins and they won 15 more after that in a row against Purdue. So this article goes on to say, can this team go ahead and do it? Uh, you know, Brom says we're, it's a one game season. It's disappointing. We'll let it burn and fester in us. Here's the thing. Purdue fans don't have a lot of confidence in this Purdue team. Now the schedule, Illinois, that's the one, right? We, we know this too. We beat them. Chances are we're going to Indy. It is that simple. No matter what else happens before or after, if you beat Purdue, you can basically lock that in. But Purdue fans don't have a lot of faith in that. And meanwhile, I'm thinking, hey, I love that matchup. Aiden O'Connell slinging it around against the secondary, letting the defensive line light him up, keeping Maccabee or whatever the running back, just keep him at bay. And then Purdue's defense, oh, come on. Bad defense. Chase Brown, seeing the holes that Braylon Allen had yesterday, Chase Brown against that should not be a problem. So I'm thinking, okay, um, if it comes down to it, if it really does come down to that day, I would not be surprised. And I know, oh, this is silly of me to say this. 
I could see Iowa, after all I just read there and how bad of shape they're in, I could see Iowa actually winning at Purdue in two weeks. They lost to Purdue last year at home when they were number two in the nation. They actually kind of got smoked. Will Iowa have enough in the tank to do that? I don't know. I think it'll be a competitive game based on that defense. But Purdue just makes some mistakes. Go back to the Syracuse game. And unlike Illinois after the Indiana game, you know, Illinois has looked at least like they've learned from those mistakes what not to do. But Purdue, they had a scary game at home against Florida Atlantic or Florida International, one of the two. And yes, O'Connell wasn't playing, but it took every bit of them to beat that team. And then you see this game against Wisconsin yesterday where they spot Wisconsin a 21 nothing lead. Just an endless parade of mistakes by Purdue where I don't trust them like I trust Illinois right now to make plays when they count or more importantly, to not mess up. I actually trust this Illinois team to not mess up far more than I would if I were a Purdue fan. So interesting, uh, positive article. Maybe just, you know, people in Lafayette are really nice and they're feeling good. Here's the deal. Brom has turned that into a winning program. I would take what Purdue has. But now that we're 6-1 and one with a chance to win the Big Ten West, I'm getting greedy. I want the Big Ten West title. I want to be an indie. I don't want to have to refund that hotel room. I want to lock it in and go over there on Saturday, December 3rd. I would be over-the-moon ecstatic to experience that, as I think we all would. So uh, before we start wrapping things up here, and we will be back for a midweek podcast, no betting lines out yet. ESPN's matchup predictor has Illinois at a 68.3% chance of winning. For road teams, that's pretty good. I think you probably give an automatic 10% to the home team, just the way college football is. Michael says the 200-level loyalist, that's Kelly likes the 200-level loyalist for club name because we're loyal to the Illini through thick and thin. I guess if you listen to a podcast like this, you'd have to be. Some of you more loyal than me, where you guys kept going actually into the stadium, whereas I did not. Uh, but now I'm going in, and now I love this, and this has just been the best fall ever, right? I mean, it really has been, and uh, it's fun to do these and, and feel that that interaction is ticking up naturally because people just want to consume as much Illini media as possible. So I appreciate you guys making the 200 level part of that rotation, and for the 25, 30 or so, whoever popped in throughout this you know, uh, this brunch club that we're building. I mean, there's the first few that we did were like 10, 11, 12, and this is a bye week. So we're building, and that's thanks to Brett Bielema and this team. You know, uh, when we come back on Tuesday or Wednesday, not sure which one we'll do, we will get more into this Nebraska game. We'll have some quotes from Bielema and the staff when they meet with the uh, press tomorrow on Monday. So we'll be able to react to that. To give you a heads up, uh, I'm not going to take my equipment down to Louisville. One... The game's going to end too late for me to do a fourth quarter podcast. By then, my friend and I will be out someplace getting drinks and something to eat before the concert, watching the game there, but unable to podcast. And then I thought, well, I could do it in the morning, or I could just wait until I get back to Champaign. That's what I'm going to do. I will wait until I get back to Champaign, do a Sunday afternoon podcast, hopefully to uh, recap an Illini victory and set up another two-game home stretch that is very, very consequential. So... uh, what a position to be in, you know, a bye week where we just got to sit and chill and watch football yesterday and not worry about anything. And everything shook out in Illinois' way to give them a little bit of breathing room in the West to give them, if they need it, one mistake. Let's just say this hypothetically. Let's say they lost in Nebraska, but then they beat Michigan State, Purdue, and Northwestern. They're still Big Ten West champions, assuming Nebraska loses another couple games. I need to check this real quick before we go. Nebraska's schedule. What do they have left? I mean, 
that would just be awful, wouldn't it? <laughs> Mickey Joseph leading them. Okay, so after Illinois, they play Minnesota at home at Michigan. Come on. That would be their third loss. But they would have the tiebreaker over Illinois then. Wisconsin at home and at Iowa. You know, while Iowa's look bad by their standards and Wisconsin, yeah, I, that's a tougher stretch than Illinois. Let's keep it simple. Just beat them. Have the tiebreaker over them. That is what's really important. And then that actually gives you, if you lost to Michigan State, it would suck. I don't want to lose to them. But it would not be the end-all, be-all because you still have Northwestern at the end of it. Oh, look at us, guys. We're doing Big Ten championship scenarios. Uh, the Big Ten, the 200-level mafia, Big Tota. Well, I love mob movies and The Sopranos, so I don't know. You guys are all my consiglieres. Um, and I'm Tony Soprano. Not quite. I'm not nearly as, I was about to say cool. He is a murderer. Is it cool to be a murderer? I don't know. Tony Soprano somehow made it look cool. Uh, that's all I got for today. So we're, we're going to be back Tuesday or Wednesday for a midweek podcast. And we'll preview this Nebraska game. I appreciate all of you hopping on to YouTube on this Sunday morning. And for all of you listening at home, uh, got to thank DP Doe. Online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. dpdoe.com. Rector Construction. Online at r-e-c-t-o-r-construction.com. Also need to thank, sorry everybody. There it goes. Brian Hansen, State Farm agent Brian Hansen, all mine at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it, Brian is my guy. And he can be your guy at brianismyguy.com. And finally, Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Give them a call at 217-841-4728. That's 217-841-4728. And get your furnace checked. It's warm now, but pretty soon it won't be. Matthew came and checked ours. It's tip-top shape. And in the winter, that's Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network repping their shirt today. Thanks, Champagne Showers. We will be back midweek. In the meantime, everybody, enjoy this last bit of an Indian summer, and we will see you in a few days. It is the 200 level.